Hello, boys and girls of Credit Union Land, and welcome to the 14th episode of the CU Insight Experience. My name is Randy Smith. I am one of the co-founders and the publisher of CUInsight.com, and it is my job on the show to have conversations with the best and the brightest of the credit union community. I get to pick their brains and hopefully find a few nuggets that we can all learn from. My guest on today's show is Dave Adams, the president and CEO of the Michigan Credit Union League and CU Solutions Group. Dave has had a long career in the credit union system. We've linked to his full bio below. Make sure to check that out. I knew Dave and I would have a lot to talk about. Leading a state league and a CUSO, I was interested to pick his brain on not only the advocacy side of credit unions, but also the business side as well. And the conversation didn't disappoint. We talked about disruption in financial services and what a transformational time it is for our, our movement. We talked about CUSOs and their uniqueness to the credit union system. We then moved into the leadership and life hacks portion of the show and what he's learned and how the inspiration has changed over his career. As always, we wrap it all up with the rapid fire questions. This was a fun conversation to have. If you listen all the way through, you'll even find out what Dave's go to song is when he picks up his guitar on the weekends. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Mr. Dave Adams. Enjoy. Dave, thank you so much for joining the show. I was really looking forward to this conversation with you just from past conversations we've had. So thank you again for taking the time today. My pleasure. Let's just jump right into the questions. And this was one of the parts that I found that I was really looking forward to about the conversation. You're the president and CEO of the Michigan Credit Union League and CU Solutions Group. So I know from previous conversations, the advocacy side is a passion of yours, but so is the business side. So I'd like to just start with what's the biggest disruption you see currently in the credit union system? Well, I think there are a lot of things that you could talk about, but I think it's the gradual disruption, and that is the relevancy of traditional depository institutions, banks and credit unions, is threatened by technology, by digital-only banks, by all kinds of new competitors that are enabled with technology. Quicken Loans in our backyard here in Michigan disrupted traditional mortgage lending, neobank, challenger bank entities that are you know, growing at a pretty fast pace. And I think so the gradual disruption is what is most concerning to me. And that is, are credit unions going to think enough about these new competitors and position themselves to provide their members with the type of, you know, mobile first services and the types of offerings that will make sure that they're relevant in the future? So do you view technology as a an equalizer for credit unions or something that might be a threat to relevance uh, just from your past? Both. Answer. Both. Definitely <laughs> both. When you when you look at the market share gains of money center banks uh, over year over year, decade over decade, the community banks and credit unions both say, you know, our real competition is the concentration of market share coming from the large money center banks who obviously have a ton of money to put into technology and innovation that credit unions and community banks don't have. So from that standpoint, it's not an equalizer because the big institutions can spend far more. But where it is an equalizer is mobile technology, for instance, is something that credit unions of all sizes can benefit from. And so I think if credit unions make the right kinds of investments in technology, they can offer the same type of experience as customers get 
from big banks. So in some respects, it's an equalizer, but there's no question the bigger companies have far more to invest in technology. So how is your team at CU Solutions Group helping to bridge that gap? Well, we have a great team. And, you know, CU Solutions Group is focused in four areas, technology, marketing, HR solutions. We call it performance solutions and then strategic advisory services. And I think a lot of those areas converge, right? Because in technology, we help creditors with websites and mobile offerings. Marketing, we're trying to help them get the most out of niche marketing services like online advertising and social media. Performance solutions are all technology-driven performance and compensation management and learning systems. And then the advisory services kind of wrap around those products because what one thing we've learned is you can't just offer a software product to a, a credit union or client without also having some training and some consultation to go with it. So our, our team is just really trying to understand the important trends that are affecting credit unions, the priorities that credit unions have, and try to align our product offerings uh, with those as much as we can. This is, like I said, with since you have both sides of the, the spectrum here, I, as someone who runs a trade association as well as a service corp, how are QSOs important to the credit union system, but also unique in financial services? Well, CEO Solutions Group is a QSO. We're owned by, we have about 100 investors, uh, two-thirds owned by the Michigan Credit Union League, but we have some leagues with small ownership. We have some other QSOs. We have credit union system organizations, and we have credit unions that all own shares in CEO Solutions Group. You know, Michigan has a lot of QSOs. We have QSOs all across the country. Great examples like Co-op Financial Services and CEO Direct. And it's absolutely what we were talking about a moment ago. How, how do credit unions keep up? with this gradual trend that is bringing all these new competitors. The way they keep up is they collaborate and they invest together, whether it's pooling resources to do your mortgage lending through a mortgage lending QSO, or whether it's sing, kind of more narrow, single-purpose QSOs like CU Direct and Co-op Financial Services. In our case, we're sort of a multi-service QSO, but it's all about benefiting from the collaboration of shared ownership in product development and delivery. In a previous episode, someone who had been in you know credit unions for 30 plus years said that she felt that like that cooperation, she almost was seeing it come back. Like it for a while, it kind of went away a little bit. Now she said, you know, is that something you're seeing as well, that you're seeing more cooperation? Well, I think one of the most stark examples of that is what we're seeing with CUNA's open your eyes to a credit union campaign. I've been attending national credit union roundtable meetings for my whole career, 30 plus years as a CEO of a league. Cooperative advertising is something that the largest credit unions said, don't, don't do it. We don't want to operate. We want to we promote our own brands. And now you see the largest credit unions being the impetus for working with CUNA and leagues to create a brand awareness initiative. That's an example of how credit unions of all sizes recognize there are some things that we have to do collaboratively that we can't do on our own. But there are numerous examples of that. Like I said, mortgage processing, business lending, technology, QSOs, investment QSOs. And I think credit unions are very, very smart. Leaders of credit unions of all sizes understand that they need QSOs to pool resources and to share the cost of product development and product delivery. 
it was interesting. I mean, as you mentioned, with the, the national awareness campaign, it seemed like it was the big ones who actually jumped in first and kind of put their money where their mouth was, right? Like to get everybody else right. on board, like we're in. But you see that, you know, CU Ledger is another example of the largest credit. You're saying, okay, there's something here with blockchain and distributed ledger technology. So let's invest in it and figure out how we can use it. Certainly, small, mid-sized credit unions pool resources because they can't afford it. They don't want to have an in-house small business lending operation. So sometimes it's the small, mid-sized credit unions driving a QSO. And there are lots of examples where larger credit unions understand the need to collaborate as well. Is there a current belief held by credit unions that you think will significantly change in the foreseeable future? Well, I think there are a lot of things. And I, I think it ebbs and flows. I, for one... Uh, I think we were all concerned about those of us in the association world were concerned about the what I would call a short term trend toward looking at conversions to bank charters. And I know that there are still some credit unions that consider that there are probably still some conversions happening, but it's not nearly as concerning or as prevalent as it was uh, just five to 10 years ago. So that's one area where I think it challenges our philosophical fabric when you have that kind of a trend happening. I think the where I see some of that would be like uh, paying volunteers or paying directors. I think there are about a dozen states now that realize that boards of directors of credit unions, it's okay to have some minimal compensation. It doesn't disrupt the philosophical fabric of credit unions. But there are a lot of states like Michigan who still hold fast to the notion that having unpaid volunteers as uh, board members is a, is a positive and an important part of our framework. So I think director compensation is one of those things. I think I think collaboration, you, we brought that up. I mean, you hear from time to time, oh, we don't cooperate as much as we used to. And, and maybe that's being revisited. I, I think that the level of competition is more intense than ever among credit unions. But I think, thankfully, they still realize that they have to find areas of collaboration and uh, partnering. Any advice for uh, maybe people out there who get freaked out by all the change? Well, I think change is hard for, for everyone. It's, it's far more comfortable for most leaders and for most team members to have a well-oiled machine and having just the business continuity, not having to worry too much about threats and disruption to your business model. But the reality is, I don't know of any business, <laughs> any business sector that isn't experiencing a high level of change and necessary paranoia about whether you're going to be in business down the road or not, unless you, the old saying, disrupt or be disrupted. And I think that if people aren't comfortable with change in any kind of a leadership position, they shouldn't be leaders. And I think depending on the position you're in and the career path you choose, certainly there, there are safer paths and safer careers that don't have a lot of, of change and uh, a lot of sort of dynamic things that relate to that role. But I think if you're in a job, almost any job where you want to move up the ladder, learn new skills and, and have a meaningful career, you just have to get comfortable with change. I know we've bumped into each other. I think this past year it was on the escalators at Money 2020. So both of us like looking outside our industry to see what's coming or what's going on. Right. So I know that innovation and change are 
you know, passions of yours. What's your reaction to that's the way we've always done it? We seem to hear that a lot in our space sometimes, (laughs) you know? Well, I think that's one of those sayings that any any leader would would cringe at if they they do hear it. And that is probably one of those phrases that is uttered at the water cooler or outside a a circle where where a leader might hear it. Because it's hard for me to imagine any manager or any leader being comfortable hearing that from a team member. But certainly it is endemic to almost any company where someone's going to use that as an excuse. Well, that's just the way Dave's always done it, or that's the way our management operates, or that's the way our company's always been. And obviously, that's not something that anybody wants to hear. Absolutely. There, there, it was a great spot on a previous episode with Sam Paxson from Co-op, and she talked about like her perfect moment at a past co-op think and i'm like do you try to recreate that and she was like absolutely not i need to do something new and i just (laughs) i loved it so i i want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about leadership and some life facts and what you can share with other leaders what inspired you you mentioned 30 years as a league president what inspired you to take the gig as the president and ceo of the michigan credit union league back in 1997 I got married young. I had children early. I had a large family. I had to feed them. I had to push my career to support my family lifestyle, I suppose. But seriously, 21 plus years ago, I was the CEO of the Washington Credit Union League in the Seattle area. And I loved what I was doing. I think I got a little bit restless. I was six years into that job. And uh, at that stage of my life, I was still a bit restless and looking for something new and something different. And the Michigan League job came open. I'm a Western boy. I was raised in Utah, spent my whole life there until the age of 32 when I moved up to Washington State, even further west. It had never crossed my mind to head east and certainly not to a so-called Rust Belt state. Michigan didn't have the, the image maybe that would attract a lot of Westerners. I'm so glad I made the move because what I found when I came here, the credit union system is so strong. I could talk about that, but the credit system is strong. The people are great, great Midwest values. And the opportunities that I found at the Michigan Credit Union League with resources and an appetite for uh, investment risk and the, the business side that I was able to work on. The decision was made from a position of restlessness when I got here. It took a little while, but it certainly was validated very quickly that I was going to have an opportunity to have a great team to work with and uh, accomplish some good things together. I'm a guy who was born and raised in Michigan. I was there for my first 30 years, so it will always be home. And as today, as we record this, it's actually the the Tigers opening day. So I think the the game starts in about an hour and a half. And I forget if you lean blue or green in your uh, college uh, allegiances. Growing up, I always leaned blue. When I moved away, I didn't go to either school. I went to a small school in Midland, Michigan, Northwood University. But as after I moved away, I really just became a homer. I mean, I I, I yeah. had Detroit Lions tickets even for five or six years after I moved from Michigan. So <laughs> I used to fly, try to get back to as many games as possible. I gave those up. But how has the inspiration changed? You mentioned what brought you there, but... I mean, to stay and obviously flourish in that environment and the way that you just talked about not only the league, the credit union system in Michigan, but also your team. How has that inspiration changed with time on the job? 
Well, I, I'm going to guess that anybody who's been in a leadership position for more than a few years has had highs and lows and, you know, good days and bad days. That's certainly been the case for me. There were periods in my tenure here where I wondered, you know, what I, what was I doing and what was I thinking moving here and would I be able to contribute anything and, again, the restlessness. And there was a period, I don't know when it was, where I crossed the line where I had this incredible support from my board. I had just a fantastic team, which I do today, and it just got to be a lot more fun. And so I would say certainly the last 10 years or the second half of my tenure here, it's just been great. So the only change I would say is I'm in the I'm kind of in the last six years or so of my career, and I'm realizing I have kind of a sense of urgency to make the right decisions and do the right things with my team so that I leave the right kind of legacy and leave the organization on a solid footing and a positive path, right? And so my inspiration, I would say, it's like other things in my life. As you get older, you start to realize, okay, you need to take advantage of, of every day and every month and not waste time. That brings me to multiple questions, actually, from what you just said. So I'm looking forward to this next chunk here. How would you describe your leadership style today and maybe compared to the past uh, as you were just talking about that change in, I don't know if priority is the right yeah. term, but... Well, so I have a finance degree and an MBA, and uh, that's not the most natural background for an association leader. More often, you have someone come from credit unions or come from a, a law background, a political science background. So I, I would say starting out in my career, I was very business schoolish, structured, process focused, and I, I still am that way to a great extent. But I think where I've mellowed in the more most recent uh, five to 10 year period is I'm gaining a better appreciation for the balance that you have to have between being structured and process oriented versus focusing on people and helping them be the best that they can be and being patient, being more perceptive to aligning talents with different functions in the organization. So you know, I, I've come to realize and respect a lot more that managing and leading is more about figuring out how to get out of the way. It's more about helping to shape a vision and then empowering, getting out of the way and helping where you can help, but not hindering progress by being overly involved in the wrong things. And I hope I've become better at that, but time will tell. If you look at, you've mentioned your team multiple times already, um, what's the greatest strength of that team? And is that something that you built over time, like looking for certain strengths when you're, you know, filling yeah. out the team or? Well, I think our team is more like a football team than a basketball team or a tennis team. It's not one dimensional. So because I have the Michigan Credit Union League, 20 employees doing trade association things, lobbying and education events and publications. And then our CUSG team, each part of that team are different, technology, marketing, performance, and, and advisory solutions. So it's really a group of sub-teams is the way I look at it. And what's great about our teams, our, the sub-teams, and then the team as a whole, is we have a lot of very talented people. And they're very innovative, and they like change. And those who don't like change quickly find that it's 
time to move on. It's best for them to move on. And so I, I would say the strength of our team is the ability for them individually and in small groups to inspire each other to take on things that are creative and uh, forward thinking and not worrying, hopefully, about failure, not worrying about making mistakes because you're going to have mistakes and missteps when you're when you're trying to do uh, innovative and cutting edge things. And so I think they're they're just a great group of folks who are willing to take risks and they, they like each other. They work well together. To keep with the football analogy, you have quite the coaching tree of other league presidents who worked for you and, and such too. Is that a source of pride for you at this point of your career? Or I look at it differently, Randy. I think they can't wait to get out of here and move <laughs> on somewhere else. Uh, but, but no, I'm very proud of uh, Patrick Lapine, the League of Southeastern Credit Union CEO, and Todd Mason, the main league, and uh, Scott Earle, who I worked with in Utah and is now the Mountain West Credit Union Association, and I'm probably missing someone. But uh, <laughs> those those leaders who go out and find opportunities in the industry, whether it's another job or another credit union or another league, I think one of the highest compliments to any leader should be, do you have people who are finding greater opportunities than what they had in your organization? And I take no credit for their success. I just am happy for them. <laughs> I love it. As a leader, is there something that the people on your teams have heard you say so many times that they could uh, finish your sentence? People hear me say often, if I say, what I really need from you on this, they'd say, is a business plan. <laughs> you know, I, maybe that's the formal structured part of me is I don't like loosey-goosey, we're working on it, we're making progress. I, I want to be able to see, uh, I want to see in some form or fashion that there's a plan. And so I don't have to ask for detail because you've shown it to me already. That's a that's a great answer. That's a, you like to see a plan, and they know it. So, do most people bring you that plan now when they come to you with a new idea? <laughs> they 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 probably give me more than I want and need because they're working hard to feed that uh, that hunger that I have for detail. <laughs> for the details, is there a mistake that you see young leaders make? You know, it's just almost like a rite of passage that maybe you made early in your career. Yes, that's a that's such a great question. And, you know, we become more introspective as we as we go through this journey. And I do see young leaders making mistakes that that I made often as a young leader. And it kind of goes back to what I said about I was the business school process structure person. And I am learning slowly but surely, but many would probably say not soon enough or <laughs> or, or effectively enough, is that I've learned that it's, it's the people and it's being authentic and genuine with people and earning their trust by having that conversation with them about something that's going on in their life and, and showing that you're a real person like them and that you care. And so what young leaders do, one mistake that they make that, that I made often is I got too caught up in the process and the deadlines and the accountability and failed to step back and say, look, I'm going to close my laptop and that's, I'm going to come around and sit on that side of the table with you. And let's, let's have a talk about what's going on in your life and how can I help you and let there be some emotion and let there be some vulnerability. There's so much comes from experience, right? Like as, as we move through this life, 
has there been a piece of advice or a life lesson that you received that you've just carried through your career? Yeah. Early in my life, I had a, it was my mother who said this to me. She, she said, uh, you know, you're going to make mistakes. And when you do take responsibility for them. And in business too often, I won't name names, but there are leaders in our midst these days who don't have the humility to admit when they make a mistake. And I think that gets people's trust and respect and support when you can say, you know what, I take full responsibility for that. I misread that situation. I made a mistake, but now we're going to fix it. So I think, I think that's an important life lesson in your personal life as well as in business. When I think of that and hear that, I think of an early manager that I had right out of college, and he impressed on all of us in this training program that one of the greater answers was, I don't know, but I'll find out the answer for you. <laughs> and, you know, as long as you followed up, as long as you took the responsibility and this, you know, but he also talked about this very similar that like as your mother, that if you make the mistake, just own it and you know people respect it and you move on so when you run into a wall for whether it's yourself personally or your team and you're you're just kind of butting your head up against a problem and having a hard time finding the other side do you have any hacks or things that you do to kind of take your mind off it take a look at it from a different angle don't make tough decisions late at night have a glass of wine sleep on it get the coffee in the morning and take it on the next day we're always going to hit walls, but seriously, I think I think that sometimes you need to hit the pause button and uh, step back from it. Certainly, to the extent possible, get some opinions from people who you trust to be candid and uh, honest with you, and then step back and uh, revisit it. Sometimes you hit a wall, and, and that's telling you that it's time to abort on something. So sometimes that's the toughest part of leading and managing is knowing when to cut bait and uh, admit that something didn't work out time to move on to other priorities this is a scratch my own itch question right now i find that to be one of the toughest things personally to do is when there's something that you've put a bunch of time effort thought was a great idea (laughs) into to say nope you know what it's time to commit the resources someplace else any tips life hacks you know um, on that because as you know thinking of cu solutions group you talked about the many different facets of that business I'm sure along the time or along the way, you've had to make decisions to get rid of parts of things and that might be just as important as the ones that you succeeded with. Right. Well, when you own your own business, which we're not our audience that we're talking to here, we're talking about credit unions yep. and credit organizations. So, but if it's your own business and you're throwing money at something that's not working, it's easy to make that decision. I, I'm sure that you experienced that with CU Insight. Yep. You can make those decisions a lot easier and a lot quicker. I think that what happens, unfortunately, in organizations like credit unions and credit support organizations is we're afraid that those we report to, in the case of a CEO reporting to a board or a manager reporting up to a CEO, we're afraid that the admission of failure is going to ding us in terms of our performance evaluation, our compensation, and how we're perceived in terms of our success. And so having a culture, what I'm very proud of here is I'm comfortable that I I now have boards who realize that we take risks. And I have to be able to go to them and say, you know, we tried this and we came at it all different ways. 
it's not working, so we're going to pull the plug on it. And I think no, having a culture that that rewards risk taking by allowing for the admission of a wrong course, because it's not really a failure, it's, it's admission that something didn't work. You have to have that. You have to cultivate that. For sure. I, how do you, uh, and this was one that I, another question that I was really interested in asking you is, as a leader, how do you keep your message fresh to your team, but then also from both the organizations that you run, you know, the, the Michigan Credit Union League's message fresh to the credit unions and the legislators and, you know, to your CU Solutions group message to your clients and your customers. Well, that question assumes that I'm effective at doing that, and I, I don't really know that I am. But what I hope is the case is this, Randy, whether it's the association or the CUSO, CUSG, each year when we go through a planning process in the late summer and feeding into the fall as we refresh our strategic plans, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we hold to and keep constant, but we're always looking for fresh ways to approach our plans and our business model and the way we communicate with our with our team members. So, you know, I think refreshing the message, I think what what is most needed with, with teams, whether it be a trade association or a CUSO or a credit union, is the realization that there is a focus and that it's we're focused on things that people can be passionate about and can enjoy being a part of. So for instance, we revised our mission statement a few years ago. It was uh, helping credit unions serve, grow, and remain strong. But within my team in our HR department, they said, but let's add so that we can make an impact on people's lives. So our mission statement now is helping credit unions serve, grow, and remain strong so that together we can make an impact on people's lives. And what that reminded me of is that people are most productive and most motivated when they're doing something that they're passionate about. I agree. Uh, if you have a free day, nothing on the calendar, what do you do to recharge? What passions do you have outside of credit unions? Summer or winter? I'm in Michigan. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, summertime, which, by the way, we're very much looking forward to. Um, I love getting out on a boat on, on the lake, enjoying some sunshine. I like playing around a golf. I like travel any season. It's nice to get away for a weekend somewhere spending time with family, simple things. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy family and friends, a good glass of wine. And, uh, you know, those are some things that come to mind. That sounds about perfect. So want to be respectful of your time. So moving on to the third part of this, it, it, to me, it's the, the part that we get to have a little bit of fun, the rapid fire questions. The questions are rapid. Sure. Your answers do not have to be. Do you remember the first time that you got into trouble, like memorable trouble? I thought you were going to ask me about my first kiss. Um, <laughs> we should add that no, one in, right? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I do. When I go back as a kid, I learned a valuable life lesson, but I got in trouble in sixth grade because I was hanging out with the wrong kind of friends. And one of my buddies suggested that it would be really cool to play hooky and go up to his house. And so we walked up to his house. I don't know what I was thinking, but we ended up at his house uh, doing who knows what, and a knock came on the door. His father uh, found out that his son and a couple other boys were not in school. Long story short, my uh, my single parent mother, who was usually not very stern in, in this particular situation, got very stern and tough on her 12-year-old son. And uh, 
I learned uh, that's probably the first uh, getting in trouble moment that I remember playing hooky from school and realizing that I needed to get get better at making uh, wise decisions so that I don't get whooped by my otherwise loving mom. Your, your mother. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Do you have any daily routines that you do that if you don't do them, your day just feels off? Yeah, I, I try to exercise every day. If not in the morning, we have a gym here at work. I try to get 40 minutes in on the elliptical or, uh, but I like to run, do the cardio. And, and so my daily routine, I, I feel like I need to get a little exercise in. got to have that morning cup of coffee. Those are the two things that come to mind. The random question, what's the best album of all time? The one you can listen to from front to back. I play the guitar. It's a little known fact about me. I taught guitar lessons to get through college and I still like to play and sing. I, I love country rock and uh, one of my favorite bands of all time who i just went to their farewell tour here in detroit the eagles and the hell freezes over album i think has got to be the one that i look at and probably listen to more than and, and maybe played some of the songs more than any than any, any other. other so you, you said you played guitar most of your life it sounds like is that a uh, something that takes your mind off things it gets you away i should have mentioned that that's not a daily routine but it's certainly part of my weekend regimen i love to get up and make breakfast and have the coffee and then i'll head right to the guitar and play some songs and and unwind i find that very therapeutic i've been able to pass that on to my adult children four out of the five play the guitar and uh, i so i i love i love the guitar i love music and i i highly recommend to any young person that they pick up an instrument and, and realize that that's going to be something that's going to stay with them their whole life. Do you have a favorite song or a go-to song that you just love to play? Yeah, actually, uh, James Taylor, Fire and Rain would be the song that if I'm just sitting there and don't want to pull up my music tabs and follow words and chords, something that I've just, I've had in my repertoire since I was probably 15. Just love that song. That's awesome. I'm a big reader. We have a stack of books all over the house. I mean, stacks of them. Uh, is there is there a book over your career that you've either recommended or gifted to other people often or one that you think everybody should read? We have a couple books that we've sort of built into our culture here at the organization. Daring Greatly by author Brene Brown is one that I passed on a lot. Uh, I had a friend who shared that with me and uh, so that's a great book. You know, the, the business uh, self-help Bible, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen R. Covey, might sound like, well, man, didn't that come out in the 50s? You're still referencing that? No, that's, but, you know, that, that's just such a great book for improving your, your life and, and getting grounded. And it has so much application for business. So those are two that come to mind. They're both great books. And yeah, the seven habits, it's, you'd hope that everybody's read it by this point, right? Like I know, but it's right, great. Right. It should be mandatory reading, I think, in schools. Quite yeah, honestly. one that's a little more current. Uh, there's a book called The Customer Service Revolution that deals with the consumer experience. And certainly credit unions are really focused on that. A credit union CEO here in Michigan shared that with me. It's a great book that talks about how you can do little things. You don't have to invest a lot of money to reinvent your consumer experience uh, 
So that's a great read as, as well. I will have to check that one out. We will link to all three of those in the show notes so everybody else can check them out as well. Uh, you kind of touched on this earlier, but as you've gotten older, has anything become more important to you? And maybe more importantly also, what's become less important? And to put that into context, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Well, there's a country song that has the catch line is things that matter, things that don't. And, you know, I think that as we get older and as we we lose loved ones or we, we have friends or family who get sick and experience all kinds of adversity, we realize that the things that really matter, that endure, are the little things, the helping hand, the, the kind gesture to others. It's not the business accomplishments where we say, I was a part of creating that program, things that really matter. And, you know, with with your inner inner circle, especially those family relationships, those closest to you, your your closest friends, and then, you know, just people you interact with. If you can just, it's the kind gestures. Those are things that matter far more than any kind of business accomplishment. There's a question that I don't send because I want it to be top of mind. When you hear the word success, who's the first person that comes to mind? Wow. <laughs> George H.W. Bush. Politics aside, you know, I've been watching a documentary recently on the Bush family. And when I look at his life accomplishments from being a, a, a fighter pilot, who was shot down in the war to the family he raised to his public service accomplishments to the eulogy that George W. gave at his funeral, where he quoted that phrase from uh, George H.W.'s inauguration, where he basically said, it's the little things that matter, right? Going back to the earlier question. So I, I think success is defined by a life well lived as represented, not by huge accomplishments, by but by the goodness of the person. And he just, to me, seems like a genuinely good man. I think you could even see with him after he was gone from president, he still did so much, right? Like, and he was able to bring other people together. You'd see him and Clinton cutting it up afterwards and stuff. So right. it was yeah. interesting that he wasn't able to get reelected because maybe he wasn't politically smart enough to get that done. So maybe he, he, he put that in the failure column, but what a, what a good man he seems to to have been. I would happen to agree with you. It does seem that way. I, I think that's the perfect way to wrap this up. I, I thank you again for being on the show. My one last question that I have of you, do you have any asks of our listeners or any final thoughts you'd like to share? Well, first of all, Randy, it's a great honor for, for me to be uh, sought out by you to be on this program. Kudos to you for continued innovation. What you've done with CU Insight is you've disrupted uh, the trade press business by providing information in different ways than we were used to getting it. And now this, uh, this CU Insight experience where you're giving people like me an opportunity to uh, answer these questions. So, you know, I would, I think the main thing for your audience, the thing you're probably trying to get to is to challenge everybody, regardless of their position in the credit industry. The most important people are those on the front lines, right? The member service reps and the loan officers and the people who are giving consulting and advice to people to help them with their financial challenges, regardless of the position you're in on a board of directors, a CEO, management or staff member, it's to challenge ourselves to think differently about 
what we're trying to accomplish in our various roles and uh, what we're trying to get out of it, what we're trying to give back to others. And uh, programs like this where we, we learn a few things from people's successes and failures hopefully causes us to think a little bit differently about how we're approaching our various roles. I think that's a great thing. Oh, Dave, that is awesome. You know, just as we wrap this up, is there a way if people have more questions of you uh, that you prefer them to get a hold of you? Is it email? Is it through social media, LinkedIn? Sure. <laughs> let me give you my cell phone number. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. I wouldn't do uh, that. <laughs> no. my, my email is like my name, dave.adams at mcol.org. I'm easy to track down. And I certainly welcome uh, questions and interactions with people in the industry. And I, I'm sure you would attest and most of our colleagues would as well, that one of the things that really, one of the greatest things about being in the credit union industry and movement is the fabulous people who share a common passion for advancing this wonderful credit union movement. And it's, we just, it's just so full of great people. And uh, I always love learning from them and having conversations about anything and everything. So I, I welcome that uh, interaction. Well, Dave, I hope to see you soon uh, at one of the many events that we both seem to be at. I do. Again, thank you very much for taking the time today. This was fantastic. I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much, Randy. 